0: Good morning, our scripture reading today is from Acts 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, and a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms, but Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, "'Look at us!' And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being one as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, "'Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this, or why do you gaze at us, as if by our own power or piety we made him walk?' The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the Prince of Life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses, and on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled— Therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken, from Samuel and his successors onward, also announced these days, It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed, All the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Amen.
1: Amen. Uh, As you can see, we're in the middle of a series called The Best is Yet to Come, and we're looking at the power of Jesus in the book of Acts, and we saw that power begin to come into the world in a new way last week. In chapter 2. And this morning we move into chapter 3 and we can continue on with the first miracle done by the hands of Jesus' first followers there in the early church. And through this first miracle, the writer of the book of Acts, actually, a doctor by the name of Luke, he's giving us a kind of a gospel starter kit today. He's giving us everything we need to know about either becoming a Christian. Or living the Christian life at its fullest and finest. So, I want to take a look at this this morning and and sort of unpack this first miracle done at the hands of the followers of Jesus. Let's take a look inside this miracle at three things today at the longing, the lesson, and the leap. There's a, a longing to see, there's a lesson to learn, and finally, a leap to make. Let's begin here in number one and look at longing here. Uh, Where are we? Well, the the writer Luke tells us that we're, uh, in this verse, it says, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. So we're here in the city of Jerusalem. Peter and John, two of the first followers of Jesus, are going to the Jewish temple at the ninth hour. It's about three o'clock in the afternoon. And they're headed to the temple to pray, likely with the first church, were the earliest followers of Jesus there. As they approach the temple, it says they come to a huge temple gate built by Herod, the local Roman authority. And this gate was made of 75 foot high brass doors. It was so ornate, it actually put the other golden doors of the temple to shame. It was so large and unmissable, it was just called Beautiful. The beautiful gate, but here in front of the beauty of the gate, there's a not so beautiful scene taking place because before the largest and grandest entrance to the Jewish temple was a beggar who was lame from his mother's womb, it says. And this beggar was being carried along by people who knew him so he could beg alms of those who entered the temple. And this says it happened every single day. Now look at this. Here we have someone, here we have a person, here there's a man, someone whose DNA, someone whose life circumstances, someone whose friends, and someone whose even culture, as we'll see, have conspired to create a situation so desperate, so debased, he cannot imagine a way out. This is a person, can you see, born into a situation over which he has no control. And the only people he has in his life care so little for him, all they'll do for him is dump him in front of the temple every day to beg money to survive. Oh, but in the middle of his desperation, right towards him walk two of Jesus' personal followers, and it says, when he saw... Peter and John, about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. Now, watch this. It says, What Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention. Look at this. Expecting, expecting to receive something from him. Now, I want to pause here and I want to unpack this single moment this initial moment that's transpiring between Peter and John and this man because I think that what's happening in this single moment sort of a freeze frame in time what's happening in this moment is actually what's happening in every human being's heart and what's happening in your heart today my heart today. Because look at this man. This man, when he looks at Peter and John, he is on one level. He's asking for something tangible, right? He's needing something physical. But on a deeper level, can you see, he's actually longing for something else. On one level, he's asking for something tangible, something material, something, yes, it's important, but it's only superficial. But on another level, a deeper level. He's asking for, he's begging for, he's needing something far greater than money alone can give him. What is it? Oh, here it is. Though this man, like all of us, was made to be embraced and loved as an image bearer of the one true God, he is an outcast and feels unloved in his circumstance. Yeah, yeah, he's got lameness on the surface, but what's Painting him more deeply is the longing he has for real and authentic love. I mean, look at him. Look at where he is. He's in front of the temple, but he's not allowed in because of his lameness. Every single day, he sits this close to the heart of his community, but he can't go in. He's this close to connecting with God. But no one's ever told him there is a God who doesn't live in a temple made by hands but wants to come and live in the body of this man, a lame man, a broken man, and make that lame and broken body the temple of the divine. Oh yeah, his lameness is painful, but his deeper longing to be loved is killing him. Oh, he needs the silver and gold, make no mistake, But but, but as much as it's about survival, it's more about someone seeing him. He's looking, who's gonna look at me? He notices Peter and John first, someone to see me, someone to notice me. Someone to love me. And I believe that in all our lives, every person in here, your life, my life, it's working on those same two levels as well. Yeah, on the surface, sure today, you've probably got something that's paining you. You've got something that you feel like is preventing you, right, from walking through life. Like you should, you got some kind of hurt, probably wound, bitterness, betrayal, some, maybe some kind of lameness, right? From birth, like this man, maybe your father wasn't there from birth, right? Your family broke up somehow. Your mother drank too much. That person who was supposed to be there to love you died or left and there, or there's something chemical from birth, something emotional from birth. It's always been there, left you lame, left you walking with a limp through life or as life went on like this man maybe there were people who were supposed to care for you but they they didn't do it they just dropped you off in front of the television every day or they just dropped you in your business or they dropped you in their marriage and they went on to take care of themselves to leave you to fend for yourself and you've been walking with a limp in that area oh but hear me here's the real problem With the lameness. Here's the real problem. With the pain that you feel. The pain, hear me, is just really a symptom. You can come to treat over and over on the surface. But it distracts you from getting healing at the source. See, the pain just distracts you. It blinds you from seeing what you really need underneath that can heal you in the end. I mean, look at this beggar. Look at him. The answer to all his needs is standing right in front of him. But he can't perceive it. He can't perceive it. All he can see as Peter and John approach him are people who will either give him what he thinks he wants or they won't. And he'll move on to someone else. Oh, but underneath his physical lameness is this spiritual longing to be loved and embraced that had never been met. But Because he's so impoverished in his soul, he turns his poverty on everyone else. He meets begging them for something to help him survive. Do we do this to the people around us? I think we do this sometimes. Sometimes our lameness of soul causes us to beg our daily soul bread from the people around us. In many ways to do this, many ways we sort of, you know, beg our daily soul bread from others. Many ways our longing to be loved shows up like lameness, many ways, but let me just give you three. First, what about envy? Oh, in our lives, someone gets that nice thing, right? Someone gets that big car, house, man, clothes, shoes, watch, whatever. You experience envy, jealousy. What is that? Oh, it's just a longing to know you're loved by your Heavenly Father, that He sees you, that He cares for you, that He's going to take care of you. Oh, what about complaining? Uh oh. Complaining in our culture today, we just pass this off as just keeping it real. (laughs) Just me being me. Just gotta, you know, being honest, right? Listen, but incessant complaining, it's a mark, unfortunately, of our modern culture. We want things to suit us. Why? Because we feel like when things break our way, we're more loved. When our circumstances feel better, we feel like we're being taken care of. What about this? What about lack of generosity in our lives? Uh-oh, that shows up on the surface. The Bible actually calls this greed. We don't give because we don't know we're loved, and so we attach our security and our worth to having stuff. I want to tell you, I suggest to you today, what's at the vast, or the root, excuse me, of the vast majority Of the moral and relational failures in our life is a lameness of soul on the surface, fueled by a lack of love underneath. What's underneath the lameness, what looks like lameness, what looks like complaining shows up like envy is just a longing to be loved. The song, you may know this, just won the, uh, the best song at the Song of the Year, the Academy Awards. The song is called City of Stars, the movie La La Land. It says this perfectly. Look at this song. It says, just, there's just one thing everybody wants. There in the bars, the crowded restaurants, through the smoke screen of the crowded restaurants, it's love. Yes, all we're looking for is love from someone else. A rush, a glance. A touch, a dance, a look in somebody's eyes to light up the skies, to open the world and send it reeling. A voice that says, I'll be here and you'll be all right. Now, that's what this man was looking for underneath. I believe it's what we're all looking for underneath. And this isn't, by the way, to diminish any very real physical need that he has any very real physical needs someone has the early church never diminished very real physical needs and they never turned away from alleviating human suffering they repeatedly do this through acts and the epistles they have a heavy concern for the poor and We try in our way to do the same. That's why we do what we do for the homeless, for the orphan, for those with financial needs. We pay their bills when they can't many times. But Listen, you could have every bill paid, this is saying. You could have food on the table. You could even be able to walk again. And if you did, it still wouldn't fix that thing inside of you that demands a kind of silver and gold from sources who really can't give it. And you can know this, not just from looking at the people around you who've got it all, but still are fundamentally unhappy, still fundamentally broken, but from looking inside your own soul honestly today. Some of you today, if you told your younger self what you have now, 10, 20, 30 years later, you wouldn't have believed you. Underneath the lameness of this man and the look he gave Peter and John, was a longing to be loved and healed in a kind of a way he could never have seen coming. And yet, and yet, here's the beauty of it it happened. It happened. Look at this verse 6. Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up. Immediately, his feet and ankles were strengthened. Oh, the man was healed, wasn't he? He was made whole physically and his deeper inner longing was fulfilled because as we'll see later, he was also converted. He comes to faith in Jesus. He enters the temple. He becomes part of the community. He begins to testify to the grace and glory of God. It was truly a miracle. His inner longing was met. So let's ask though, how could all this happen to him? How could it happen to him? Oh, let's see. Because Peter actually tells you. (laughs) He actually tells you how. Number two, there's a lesson in here. Peter actually uses this miracle to teach us something. Let's see what it is. It says, While this man was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement so the miracle of course it draws a crowd people are going nuts they're coming running to see what the fuss is all about peter sees it and says this he replied men of israel why are you amazed like i don't know peter because a man's walking maybe that's why we're amazed why do you gaze at us is it by our own power or piety we made him walk and Here comes Peter's second sermon. And if you're familiar at all with the old 60s band Hermans, Hermans, you know this is second verse, same as the first. All right, that was for your boomers there. All right, Peter's second sermon is the same as the first, and it's the same as the third sermon he gets to later. And as a matter of fact, this sermon is really representational, almost a carbon copy of every sermon you get in the New Testament. What is Peter doing? What's he teaching here? Peter, speaking to people who are familiar with the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, he begins to show them how what they had read for centuries, how what they had longed for all their lives, was really Jesus all along. See, in this short little passage, Peter works in four different seemingly disconnected references to Jesus from stuff written hundreds and thousands of years before this. And he continues what he did back in chapter two, which is to make the case that the Hebrew scriptures are all about Jesus. First, he quotes Moses, right? From Deuteronomy 18, we read this where Moses says, God's going to raise up one day a prophet for you like me, but he's not going to be like me. He's going to be so great that you'll have to give your whole life and whole allegiance to him. He's going to be a prophet, but more than just a prophet. Then Peter moves on from Moses, the first section of the Bible. And then he says, the Samuel, which picks up where Moses leaves off and all the way to the end, he says, Samuel and all the folks after him also talked about these days. Well, why Samuel? Well, Samuel's book is all about someone named David, right? And David was who? israel's greatest king see peter's saying all that that king stuff you jews are looking for israelites people of the world all that you know return of the king stuff you're longing for the king will make all things new that's who jesus is and then peter says it's not just samuel it's all the prophets they're all really about jesus and then to drive the point home, Peter goes back to the cornerstone of the Jewish faith, a man named Abraham. And he says, oh, you guys remember when God made that covenant, he swore that promise to Abraham that through Abraham's seed, offspring, family, he would bless the whole world. He says, that's Jesus. He says, Jesus is what Abraham longed for. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, the better son of promise, though Abraham never saw him. And then he uses the word servant at the end right out of the book of Isaiah. What's Peter doing? Oh, he's doing what all the New Testament writers do. He's showing you they read, they read the Bible Christocentrically. They read every section, every idea, concept, passage, with Christ as the center and purpose of it. Peter does it repeatedly. Oh, but then Paul does it too, right? If you know your epistles, Paul says, yeah, there was an Adam, right? There was a first Adam, but that Adam failed, He couldn't obey God perfectly, but there was someone like Adam and that he was the first of a new kind of species, right? Jesus is the first resurrected person. Oh, but Jesus is greater than Adam because what Adam couldn't do in a garden, Jesus did. It's astonishing. Go read Hebrews, first chapter, first chapter, five Psalms that he quotes deuteronomy samuel chronicles that says it's all about jesus and then in hebrews in this quirky place he pulls up this shadowy figure named melchizedek the guy with a cameo appearance back in genesis this guy who shows up he's generous to abraham for like four verses and he says jesus is like that but better because he's way more generous he's just an appetizer who jesus was why do they do this over and over. Oh, they do this over and over to show you one thing, and this one thing is why this miracle to the lame beggar could happen. They do this to show you that the message of the Bible is all about grace, it's all about grace. The message of the Bible is not what you have to do for God to get Him to love you and bless you and take you to the pearly gates. When you draw your final breath, No, the message of the Bible is actually far more freeing than that. It's that though you could never do enough to get God to love you. Though you could never keep his law. And as a matter of fact, you're such a moral failure. You're all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Though that's true of you. Jesus came and he did what you could never do. He earned. He earned God's love and transforming grace. And by the way, this is the way Jesus also read the Old Testament. He said, remember that guy Jonah? That guy, you know, with the fish and the storm and three days and all that? He said, I'm like that. I'm going to actually go into a greater storm, storm of God's wrath and judgment. I'm going to go into the grave for three days. I'm like Jonah, he says. But he said, I'm greater than Jonah because I'm going to rise physically again. He said, you know that guy Solomon? He said, yes, we were Solomon. You know, built the temple. Lots of proverbs about the guy and stuff. Jesus says, I'm greater than him. Solomon was wise. I am the wisdom of God. And then Jesus says in the gospel of Luke at the very end, he said, Moses, the Psalms, the prophets, they're all about me. What do you do with someone like that? See, when you look at the Bible, you can read it one of two ways. That first, it's primarily about you and all the stuff you got to do. Or that it's primarily first, most about Jesus and what he has done. And that's why the New Testament writers, Peter, Paul, all of in their sermons and acts, they do this over and over. Now, if this is the case, and it is, and there are so many, not just clues... But X marks the spots (laughs) over the buried treasure of how to read and apply the Bible in our lives. Why don't we get this? Why will we refuse this? Oh, here's why. We don't get it for the same reason Jesus had to come, because we are so self centered. We think everything is about us, including the Bible. To the operating principle of the heart is that we must earn love. we got to do stuff to get God to love us. We don't know that we're loved. And we think we're only loved... When we do good stuff. And yes, listen, faith without works is dead. No question. And if you think for a second I'm talking about faith with no works, you must sleep on me, bro, every week. Because all we ask you to do is go on mission trips. Serve him M-Kids. Share your faith. Lead a community group. My gosh, there's so many opportunities to do works. Good works, right? Serve the homeless. Go to Kye Street, all this. Those are all works in a way, but flowing out of what? It's faith a knowledge, we are loved. Understand, living by works, first or alone, reading the Bible and thinking it's all about what you have to do for God to get him to love you, means you're no different, hear me, than a Muslim, than a Hindu, a Buddhist, atheist, secular person, or the average Christian in the pews in America. All just trying to be good in our own way, satisfied to slake the thirst of the religious impulse buried deep in every human heart trying to be good in our own way keep the rules our religion gives us keep the rules our culture gives us keep the rules we make up for ourselves but then break for ourselves when they're inconvenient right the bible says every person every heart from every religious and secular background like that beggar demanding salvation from some kind of silver and gold, demanding meaning from the good works we try to get from people. Oh, but the Bible says that following Jesus is utterly different. The Bible says what can transform your life today is when you stop thinking your life is about you, when you stop thinking the Bible is about you, when you give your heart and your mind and your life and your life's purpose to the one who made you and who's loved you and who's lived for you and who came for you and who died for you and who was resurrected for you. And if you'll do that, you can do, you will do what this beggar does here in Acts 3. Finally, number three, you can make the leap. The leap. Here we go. It's incredible here. There's one little detail about this miracle Luke gives you twice so you don't miss it. Let's look at it. It says, with a leap. He stood upright and began to walk. He entered the temple with them, walking and what? Leaping and praising God. Oh, he's not just walking, strolling. He's leaping, dressed in first century rags, likely with no shoes. He's going, you know, full Michael Jordan on everybody in the temple. Somersaults, backhand springs, 360 somersault, you know, back dunks on people, leaping like he's in the nutcracker. Why? Why? Why is this detail such a big deal? Oh, this detail is a big deal because this miracle is more than a miracle. This miracle is actually what Luke calls a sign, a sign. He says that signs in those days were being done by the first Christians. What does a sign do? Oh, a sign points to something, right? Eat at Joe's. You know, breakfast here. Shop is open. A sign is a guide to somewhere. And where does this sign point to? Oh, this sign points to the future. Points to the future. Almost every commentator I could find here says that Luke is likely channeling referencing isaiah chapter 35 which says that when the messiah comes when the true king comes when the healer of the world finally returns and makes all things right it says this will happen look at this it says then then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped then will what the lame what leap like a deer And the mute tongue shout for joy. They will enter Zion. Where are we in this story? Zion, Jerusalem, with singing everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. See, what the gospel, what the New Testament writers called were referenced as miracles. They also called signs pointed to a future that Jesus himself was bringing in, had begun, had inaugurated when he came the first time. And what thrilled the hearts of these first Christians was seeing, being an eyewitness of the resurrection. Because they knew when they saw Jesus rise from the dead, what no one could ever do. They knew that the shot clock was ticking down on death. That evil was put on blast, on notice. They knew that, hey, Peter says, hey, listen, you all killed Jesus, yes. But God brought him back to life. And the resurrection is so powerful that faith in that name healed this man. They knew Jesus had begun something in the world. And that one day Jesus, as Peter says in this sermon, he says one day Jesus will return and restore all The restoration, he says, of all things will happen. And this one little miracle of one little restoration of one man's body is a sign that points to the future restoration that will happen to all things one day. See, the leap in the temple is a sign which points to the resurrection, which points to the restoration. And if you know this, friend... What kind of life can you live right now? A woman by the name of Johnny Erickson Tada. she's a Christian writer, and she was a young woman when she experienced a debilitating diving accident and became a quadriplegic. She's lived the remainder of her life in a wheelchair. She's a Christian, and at her church service, every week in her wheelchair, she experienced the pangs of disappointment. At a certain point in the service, every week her, her pastor priest would call people to kneel. And she says it broke her heart because she couldn't because of her physical condition. This began to weigh on her so much she began to cry every week in church. But she says then one day when she was reading about the resurrection, she says this hit her. She said, quote, I suddenly realized that when I get to the wedding feast of the Lamb, the first thing I'll be able to do on my resurrected legs is to drop down on grateful, glorified knees and kneel quietly before the feet of Jesus. And then I'm going to get on my feet and I'm going to dance. Can you imagine the hope the resurrection gives someone who is spinal cord injured like me? Can you imagine this hope gives to someone who is manic depressive? No religion, no other philosophy promises us new bodies, not just new minds and hearts. Only in the gospel of Jesus Christ do people like me find such enormous hope to live. And friends, I don't know why some don't physically leap right now why some people aren't healed right now i believe god's timing is inscrutable it's unknowable i mean after all look at this man jesus himself likely walked past this lame beggar many times where was he at the temple where did jesus go in matthew 21 to the temple where he what healed the blind and who the lame jesus was healing the blind healing the lame but this man didn't get healed for whatever reason but we can see now, in retrospect, there was a reason. God's timing was perfect in his life all along. He wasn't healed then, but he is now. And Even if you have something you're not healed of in this lifetime, if your faith, your trust are in Jesus as your Savior, King Restorer, you'll be healed then. You'll see then. You'll hear then. You'll leap then. And if you know this, let me tell you, you can also leap now today. We can put down the complaining now. We can put down the envy now. We can put down, let go of the greed and the worry and the fear and The bitterness and the wounds, having to defend endlessly our reputations. Why? Because what it means to be a Christian is to have the Holy Spirit of God come into your life. And the New Testament calls this, guess what? Oh, it calls it a deposit. A deposit. A deposit. Money you got in the bank. Uh, Paul says a guarantee of what's to come. What? The restoration of all things. To be a Christian means you live your life in this present moment, off the interest flowing backwards from the future into your life today. That's what it means. We have the Holy Spirit guaranteeing what's to come, the restoration of all things. You can leap now on the inside because your deepest longings Can will be fulfilled that's what the miracle means that's why all you good methodists in here will know this isaac watts the great hymn writer the words of the first hymn methodist hymn book he says hear him ye deaf oh his praise ye dumb your loosened tongues employ ye blind behold your savior come and leap ye lame for joy church can we leap today Leave this lameness behind. Let's go to him now in prayer and ask for that touch of his grace coming and flowing into our lives and hearts. Will we come to you now? In Jesus' name.